Well, you may be aware that uh, this is what uh, many call Sanctity of Life Sunday, a uh, huge issue within our culture. And uh, we decided to uh, invite somebody who's deeply involved with that issue, uh, Joe Patton, to speak to you today. Um, I think I was asked to come up here because I've known Joe as long as or maybe even longer than his kids. Uh, uh, he is uh, somebody who's vitally involved with the issue. He wants you to know that he was saved in first grade. He was uh, raised in a Baptist tr tradition. He now attends Topeka Bible Church. And his wife, Cindy, is now uh, playing the bass uh, for the worship band over there as, as we speak. Uh, a lot of you folks, uh, a lot of the younger people here have been involved with uh, NetReach, and uh, Joe's on the board of NetReach. He served as a volunteer there. Uh, he's also served on the board of directors of the Topeka City of Character. Uh, Joe uh, felt so committed to this issue and other important issues that he ran for public office and served in the Kansas House of Representatives for six years, not terms, six years. Uh, and uh, I can say that uh, you may or may not be aware that Kansas was pretty much the abortion mecca of the country because of the liberal laws here. We were the first, one of the first states to, to uh, uh, legalize abortion before Roe v. Wade. And uh, when Joe was there, he worked with others to make Kansas, including Governor Brownback, one of the most pro-life states in the country. And he was vitally involved with that work as well. Uh, he uh, also uh, is a partner in Patton and Patton, where his wife Cindy works as an attorney. Uh, he's also he played some role in bringing us Mike and Elizabeth to our fellowship, and his son Joe is there. We're just missing Michelle and Matthew, who reside in Kansas City. Uh, great family. I think everybody Michelle works for the law office, don't they? Yeah. So he's got it's a family business. Joe was one of the founders of Kansans for Life, and I think he's done this before, but he's presently the president of Founders for Life, of uh, Kansans for Life, excuse me. Uh, my first, one of my first recollections of Joe was when I was fresh out of law school, and he saw me coming. So he got together a bunch of folks to talk about how we could serve within this movement. And he has this way about him. He said, uh, you know, we need people to do different things. We need somebody to kind of talk to the legislators. I figured, you know, I, I got some time. I could do that. And so not long after that, I got a letter from Kansans for Life, and it said, lobbyist Kent Vincent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Watch out for Joe. <laughs> it's contagious. Uh, we talked earlier today in the Sunday School about what it means to serve the Lord, okay? And in Matthew 25, you see this, you know, this whole thing about visiting me, healing me, doing all these things for me, and the righteous saying, I never did that for you, Lord. I never served you in that way. He said, no, you did. You served me because when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And that's what Joe's committed to. The very least of these, the most vulnerable within our culture. So without further ado, let's welcome Joe Patton. Does this mic work? Yeah. 
You can hear me okay? Oh, that's too bad. I was a little nervous about coming here today because I was late. My hand is still shaking. I was struggling about which tie to put on this morning. Looking around here, that was obviously an unnecessary struggle. <laughs> I, uh, I was also a little bit worried because my kids go to church here, and they're going to be sitting out there. You know, it's, it's one thing to go to a place and give a speech, and then they're not there, and they ask you, well, how'd you do? I, that was great. I knocked it out of the park. I, it was good. I was happy that Eric and Doug didn't give the introduction today because I've known them way too long. But then I saw... Abby's mom here, and she's an English teacher. I don't do well with English teachers, so I'm really nervous. So you'll have to just forgive me uh, for that. Um, Let me uh, share with you that I'm going to be talking about abortion. Abortion is a hard topic. A group this large, there's probably someone here that's had one, or you know someone that's had one. I'm going to be talking about some things that you may not totally agree with me on. And if you're in that category, I want you to know I care about you. Anytime anyone speaks from the pulpit, I'm of the belief that the good news of the gospel should be shared, and this morning will be no different. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But while we're yet sinners... God demonstrated his love for us, and he died for us. When you get that, it changes who you are, doesn't it? That's what the book of James is all about. If you get that, it changes your heart. It changes what you do. That's the book of James. We actually asked the Joe Patton paraphrased version of the book of James. You probably don't hear the Joe Patton paraphrased version very often, here because it's not authorized. (laughs) I use the Joe Patton paraphrased version of the book of James all the time, and it says, you know, if you get it, it's going to affect you. If you get it, some mystery happens in your heart, and you become better and better, and there's a goodness that happens that you don't hardly understand, but out of that heart, a courage rises up, and then Christians begin to speak the truth to power. We begin to speak the truth to men and women in high places. That is who we are as a people. Look at the Bible all the way through. Prophets would go and speak the truth. When the prophet came to King David, he was talking to him about some pretty private things. And I think John the Baptist got his head cut off by standing up for traditional marriage, right? I mean, we as a people are no stranger to speaking the truth about social issues. It, It comes about, it's who we are. That's who Kansans for Life is. Kansans for Life is a group of Christians who have been called by the living God of the Bible to 
secure the foundation of all human rights, the right to life. I'm going to share with you a little bit about how that came about, who we are, and some of the most exciting times that we have coming up. But we always start with the Bible. Right? That's where you say, amen, brother. Amen, brother. All right. We start with the Bible. What's the Bible say? Psalms 139. For you created my inmost being. You, God, knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know you full well. My frame was not hidden. God knows what's going on inside the womb. In Jeremiah 1 Five, before I knew you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God knows what's going on in the womb of a mother with that person in the womb. And the Bible places high value on human life. Jesus said you shall not murder, because each one of us are made in the image of the living God. So what's going on inside the womb? Let's take a look. Before the mother even knows she's pregnant, the heart's beating, that's a different type of blood. At five weeks, you have the eyes, the legs, the hands begin to develop. At six weeks, brain waves. The mouth and the lips are present. At seven weeks, the eyelids form. The baby begins to kick. You felt that, haven't you? This is my son, Matthew, and Paige. And before even Paige knew she was pregnant with Penny, the heart was beating. Every organ was in place. The bones began to take place. Fingerprints had already begun to form, and the baby could hear little Penny before she even had a name. Weeks 9 and 10, the baby can turn the head, can frown. Week 11, the baby can grasp objects. All the organs are present and functioning. The baby has a skeletal structure, nerve, circulation. At week 12, the baby has the nerves the vocal cords, the baby can suck its thumb. Week 13, the gender can usually be determined. What's going on inside the womb is human life. I didn't always know that. In fact, I used to be pro-abortion years ago. 1979, I got married. And I was a Francis Schaeffer fan. I love Francis Schaeffer. I read everything. Any, read, who, who's ever heard of Francis Schaeffer? Okay. I was excited about Francis Schaeffer. Stanley King from our church said, uh, go to, uh, there's a conference about two states out. So, why don't you and Cindy go? First trip Cindy and I had had as men and wife. We just got married, you know, and so I thought that was cool. We're going to hear Francis Schaeffer speak. So we showed up at this conference center. It was a big conference center. There's a lot of people there. 
And we went down and sat down. It was going to be Francis Schaeffer, C. Everett Koop, who later became Surgeon General of the United States, and Mildred Jefferson, who was at that time, I didn't know of it, at that time she was president of the National Right to Life Committee. But I was here about Francis Schaeffer. So I showed up, Cindy and I sit down, front and center, you know, and, you know, because I wanted to hear everything, because this is Francis Schaeffer, and they handed me this big newspaper that said, Life News, which I thought was weird. I started looking through it and had all these pictures of babies, and I looked at Cindy and I said, let's get out of here. We're right in the middle of a bunch of right-to-life wackos, and we stood up to leave, and they started the program. And it would be rude to leave, so I sat back down. Three days later, I was pro-life because Francis Schaeffer shared from the scriptures. He shared, Schaeffer Coop shared some of what you saw about what's going on in the womb. And it moved. I came home, it was like a nuclear bomb being blown up in our church. Who, you know, they was kind of pro-life, but you know, let's, let's not talk about this. I didn't know what to do. I wanted to get involved. So I called up a lawyer friend of mine. And I said, I'm pro-life now. He said, oh, well, that's really too bad. You won't ever have a future in politics with that. I hung up, called somebody else. I called up Kurt Nystrom. You know Kurt Nystrom? Christian lawyer friend of mine. I said, I'm pro-life now. What do I do? He says, well, call up Nancy LaCour. She's pro-life. So I call up Nancy LaCour. And I said, I'm pro-life now. What do I do? She says, you can come to our chapter meeting. Except we don't have any place for our chapter to meet. And I said, well, come up to my law firm, use our conference room. She says, okay, we'll be there Thursday. I said, all right. So I come to my conference room in my, in my law firm, and I walked in. I was a little late, struggling with what kind of tie to wear. <coughs> I walked in, and there were these four little old Catholic ladies. And they were so shocked to see a male Protestant lawyer show up, they elected me president. I said, great. And they said, as president, you get to lead us on the protest march on January 22nd. I said, well, yeah, I'm a lawyer. I don't protest. You know, I, they said, no, you're president of the pro-life group. I said, okay. I've never done that before. So, okay, I'll do that. Well, I didn't think anybody would show up. So... Cindy and I stayed up with two friends late at night. We made these big banners out of these sheets. And we said something pro-life. And we had some PCV, pal, PCV pipe. Any plumbers here? I, don't, I didn't even know what PCV pipe was, but we got it. P. Oh, okay, thank you, Doug. It's not PC. That's his role to correct me. And then he's played that role a long, long time. So we had this big banner. We show up that morning of January 22nd, thinking nobody else would be there. I was holding this sign. My friends were holding it. And in case the media was there, we'd have a big sign, have a, you know, a presence. A couple cars showed up. Some people got out with some homemade signs. A few more people showed up. A few a busload of people, several vans. A couple busloads from St. Mary's came in. Before long, we had... We had people all around the block of Stormont Vale Hospital where they were doing the abortions at that time. And they were people just like you and me, regular folks. They weren't wackos. They cared. They made their own signs. 
I'd never done this before, so I didn't know what to do. So I said, let's march around Stormont Vale. So we marched, you know, like Dirk, marched around Stormont Vale. So we marched around. We sang hymns. We came around, and there was, there was these, around the front of Stormont Vale at the entrance were two of the meanest-looking security guards you'd ever seen. I mean, they looked as mean as Kent Vincent right here. And I was coming around the corner, and I was thinking, I wonder what would happen if we took the whole group just right through them. Right? I mean, if I didn't do that. Had I done that, Operation Rescue would have started just right then. But I grabbed my pastor later in the week. I said, we need to do something about this. Let's go talk to the legislators. So we found a friendly pro-life legislator. There's one or two at that time. Kansas, as was mentioned, passed the liberalization of the pro-life, of the abortion laws, making abortion legal in 1969, long before Roe versus Wade. I won't tell you the name of the legislator, because you'll know who he is. He's retired, though. And he's got us on the north steps of the Capitol where no one could hear him. And he said, okay, we'll talk about abortion. So we told him that we needed to stop this. It was evil. We needed to change the law. And he looked at us and he said, look, abortion's not an issue here. It will never be an issue here. You people go home. So we did. And we came back later with 5,000 people. And we've been coming back every year. And you'll get a chance to do this March for Life tomorrow if you show up at the Capitol South Steps at 12.30. And then we began to get organized. This is some of our early lobbying attempts. <laughs> this is our group now. Some of our leadership. You'll notice a couple things about our leadership team. 65% of the leaders of Kansans for Life are women, and they're young people, even the guys. 68% of our membership, which is over 250,000 people, are women. This is a women's movement. We now have 12 staff people, three offices in Topeka, Kansas City, and Wichita. It's come a long ways. We're affiliated with the National Right to Life Committee. We have a board of directors. I'm the president, executive director, our staff, and our three offices. And we have a chapter in many communities. We have a chapter here that I'm going to invite you to be a part of later. But let's look forward. That's how we got started. What is the next six years going to look like? It's going to be the most interesting years of the pro-life movement ever. We now have 29 pro-life bills passed, thanks to the governor, pro-life legislatures, grassroots organizations. You can make a case that Kansas is the most pro-life state in the union right now. The governor in his State of the State Address pointed out that over the six-year period when he was governor, we now have 17,000 fewer abortions than the previous six-year period. He attributed it to the 29 pro-life laws that we passed. 
it's a little tough to tease out exactly why that might be. I mean, there might be lots of reasons. But as the governor pointed out, if we saved even one because of the pro-life laws, that was worth it. But we think it's much, much higher. But a lawsuit's been fought right here in Shawnee County. Judge Hendricks heard the case. Two abortionists filed a lawsuit challenging a statute that was signed by the governor. And the statute said that it's illegal to do live dismemberment abortions. You could still do a dismemberment abortion, which I won't describe for you because we have children present. But under this law, you'd have to do something so the unborn child would not be alive. It banned merely the live dismemberment of an unborn child. Two abortionists who did that kind of procedure filed a lawsuit saying that that law was unconstitutional. The unique thing is they said it's unconstitutional not under the U.S. Constitution, which we're used to hearing about, Roe versus Wade interpreted the 14th Amendment to include the right to privacy and the right to abortion arising out of that. No, they said it was actually in the Kansas Constitution. I encourage you to go home and read the Kansas Constitution. You're not going to find the word abortion in there anyway. They found it in this sentence. When you look at the Kansas Constitution, you'll see that the founders in 1859 created for us in Kansas a Bill of Rights. And Section 1 of the Bill of Rights says, All men are possessed of equal and inalienable natural rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Many people say we ought to have the right to life in the Kansas Constitution. Well, it, it, it's there. Section 1. And you recognize this language because it comes from what? Declaration of Independence, right? Okay. See the word abortion in there anyplace? No. Neither do I. Let me tell you how they came up with it. This section, over the years, the Kansas Supreme Court said, well, Kansans ought to have due process of law. Due process of law is a word, series of words, that come from the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And a lot of rights come out of having the due process of law. It's a good thing. Government can't take your stuff without due process of law. The U.S. Supreme Court has interpreted many rights coming out of that clause. Well, over the years, several times, the Kansas Supreme Court says that this phrase is kind of like due process of law. So when Kansans want due process of law and those rights, we look to this by implication. You know, it's the word liberty. It's, you know, it's kind of implied. Well, the argument of the pro-abortionist in this lawsuit was, well, if Section 1 is equal to the 14th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment's incorporated into Section 1, then they must have incorporated the 14th Amendment 
into Section 1 of the Constitution, and with it, the right to an abortion. It's kind of like an inference on an inference, which is kind of tenuous. I can tell you for sure that the people who adopted our Constitution were not thinking about abortion when they wrote that sentence. We know that for a fact. The territorial legislature, right before this was adopted, had made abortion illegal because the American Medical Association at that time had just discovered that what is inside the womb was human and was alive and was telling the legislature, you need to protect this unborn child. And so all across the United States, the state legislatures were passing laws to make abortion illegal, and we did the same. Right after we became a state, the very first legislature, these same people made abortion illegal. They were not thinking about incorporating the right to an abortion in our 1859 Constitution. Judge Hendricks bought the argument and said it was. So now, the long Kansas is strange. It forbids the live dismemberment of a cow without inserting some kind of chemical so the cow could not feel the pain. But it allows the same thing to a human child. That's okay. In fact, that's, you have a constitutional right to do that. The next six years is going to be very, very critical. Because this court case I told you about went from the district court to the Court of Appeals and now before the Kansas Supreme Court. In the next six years, we are either going to totally win the pro-life issue or we are going to totally lose it. In the next six years, the president will appoint another pro-life justice to the U.S. Supreme Court. We will have a pro-life majority. Roe versus Wade will be reversed. It will come back to the states and we can put a stop to abortion. And we win and the children win. Another scenario, the president appoints, Roe versus Wade is reversed, it comes back to the states, and lo and behold, in Kansas, we found the right to an abortion. And so we once again would become the haven for abortion for the entire nation. And every one of those pro-life, 29 pro-life laws, would be at risk and wiped out potentially. The next six years are going to be critical. Critical. So what do you do when a judge gets out of line? Well, there's three things you can do under our system of government. First of all, you can vote the judges out. Last fall, we tried to do that. For the first time in the history of Kansas, some organization called Kansans for Life organized all these people and said, you need to vote these people out. And we got very, very close. Closer than anyone has ever had voting a judge out. But not close enough. The judges are still on the Supreme Court. Number two, any state representative in the Kansas House of Representatives could file a bill of impeachment. That would take an act of political courage. That would be difficult to find men and women who would do that. Or number three, 
you can vote for a constitutional amendment to make it clear that our state constitution does not have a right to an abortion in it. That process, a resolution is introduced, passes by two-thirds, it comes to you, and if a majority of the people vote, then we overturn that court decision. It can be done. It was done in Tennessee 10 years ago, 15 years ago now. Yes, I think it was 12 or 15 years ago. The Tennessee Supreme Court found the right to an abortion in their state constitution the same way we expect our court to. In Tennessee, they had this strange procedure that takes a long time for a constitutional amendment to get to the people. They have to introduce it to the House of Representatives, and it has to pass, and then two years later, they have to introduce it to the Senate, and then two years after that, it has to show up on the ballot. Well, the first time they tried it, it didn't get passed. The second time, it passed the House. The third time, two years later, it passed the Senate, finally showed up on the ballot. And they had a knockdown drag out in Tennessee. Tennessee right to life though looked at all the other places where we've had referendums. Pro-lifers lose statewide referendums 90% of the time across the United States for two reasons. One, they attempt to do too much to ban all abortions and the public's just not right there. So their wording was a little simpler, saying the right is not in this Constitution. The second thing pro-lifers tend to do is just assume everybody thinks the way they think and, and will show up and do the right thing. In Tennessee, they hired professionals and spent $2 million to put together a professional media campaign statewide that looked just like a statewide political campaign. They had pollsters, they had people that did the TV, they had people that bought the media, they spent two million bucks, and they still just barely won, 52% to 47. It was a squeaker. They spent two million dollars. Planned Parenthood spent twice as much money. And you know what? Pro-lifers, when they raised their two million, 85% of it came from people just like you. Small contributions, people that got together. Planned Parenthood's $4 million was raised nearly all from four checks. One from each of the four Planned Parenthood affiliates, each of which were almost a million bucks, your taxpayer money at work. But they won. So Planned Parenthood took them to court and challenged it. Some strange legal argument that I won't bore you with. And just two weeks ago, the Court of Appeals came down with the decision says, no, Planned Parenthood, you're wrong. The people are right. The right to an abortion is not in the state constitution. And they won. We will win here, too, if we all work together, if we all get involved. We have some things that will help you get involved. Tomorrow, show up. Monday, January 22nd, 1230, the rally starts.
But if you go to our webpage, kfl.org, you can download a PDF file that has activities all day long. And if you didn't get enough of me, you can come hear me give this speech again. <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff's going on, but be there at least by 1230, because that's when the rally starts. This summer, mark down June 28th, 29th, and June 30th, because Kansans for Life will host the National Right to Life Convention. The National Pro-Life Convention will be in Overland Park. And the Vice President of the United States will be there to speak. You want to hear the Vice President of the United States speak, if for nothing else. And it's just an hour away. So plan on going to that. You can go on the webpage and get information about that as well. You can join our local chapter. Go to our Facebook page and like it. You'll get information about when and where. Or if you don't do Facebook, you can go to our kfl.org, sign up, get emails. They'll tell you when the meetings are going to be. It's important to get involved. You know people I don't know. You're part of groups that I, I don't know about. You can invite our people there to speak. You can tell them about this information. It's all about networking. You taking the word of truth out to this community and pro-life chapters all across the state are going to be doing the same thing. Our webpage is www.kfl.org. Cindy and I just got back from this last summer on a trip overseas. And we had the sad ex experience of going through one of the camps where the Nazis held Jewish people, the death camps, where they gassed them. We had the horrible experience of walking through where the gas chamber was. As we was walking around the, the camp, the young person who was our guy lived there. And you could tell he couldn't believe that his parents and his grandparents had let this horror of the Nazis destroying the Jewish people go on right there in their town. He took us to the side wall and he says, you see that farm right over there? And we said, yeah. He said, let me read you a letter. And so he read us a letter written by a woman who lived at that farm and it described what she could see from her farm as she looked down into the camp and I, it was horrifying I won't, I won't share with you what it said I'll share with you just the last line she, she said please stop this or at least please do it where I can't see it. In America, our children are being horribly dismembered and killed, but they do it where you can't see it. 
Don't let your children and grandchildren wonder why you did nothing to stop this Holocaust. Who knows? But God has placed you here for times such as this. Let's stop this.